Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. This week will be remembered for a long time. The question is, how? Hope with me. That today, Dr. King's example inspires the many striving for better and enlightens the toxic few determined to be their worst. We could not have a better reminder that you can't kill an idea with violence. Only a better idea can prevail. Equality and justice, as Dr. King taught us, they are the best ideas. Darkness can only be removed by the light of truth. And love is the ultimate form of truth. But also that racial progress can enrage some in the majority. And that violence can be used as a refuge for those coming from a place of animus and ignorance. And that democracy, even in America, is a fragile, fragile thing. At last, reality has the capital and this country in a state of high anxiety The inaugural committee lighting the field of flags on a deserted National Mall tonight, illuminating 56 pillars of light representing every state and territory. Some 200,000 U.S. flags standing tall, representing America's unable to attend the Biden inauguration due to the pandemic and now due to the disease of division. 25,000 National Guard members must protect our democracy from ourselves. We can no longer boast peaceful transfer of power. There is no peace. We must be suspicious of even the peacekeepers. All are being vetted by the FBI ahead of Wednesday to ensure that none will turn on their country and pose an insider threat. We used to have to do that in Iraq, by the way. This is where we are, four years of Trump the only place his demagoguery could take us. Chaos capped off by a capital coup. You know, candidate Biden warned us we were in for a battle of the soul of our nation. Seemed dramatic at the time. Now, seems more prophetic. How do you restore a soul? How do you unify those who see benefit and power in division? That alone would be a daunting, daunting task. But that is just one of the problems on Biden's plate. Literally a sea of tsunamis thanks to the worst president in my lifetime, the man who made it cool to be cruel in too many places in this country, who ignored a pandemic that is getting worse, killing more, and he could care less. As the economy he falsely bragged about is now really in distress, he leveraged fear and lies to blind million to the facts to put racism on the rise, replace dialogue with rage, and motivate masses to become monsters. So let's follow the mandate of Martin. Let's shine the light. Let's reveal the truth of his efforts. Inside the Trump insurrection, we will show you tonight in a way you have not seen before. Take a look. We're outnumbered. There's a fucking million of us out there. And we are listening to Trump. Objection to the Arizona. This is objection. He was going to sell us out all along. 
Really? Objection to counting electoral votes of the state of Arizona. Can I get a photo of that? Wait, no, that's a good one. Okay. All right, all right, we're down. I'm pissed. He's with us. He's with us. All right, don't fuck with him. He's a good one. He's a good one. Cruz, I think Cruz would want us to do this, so yeah, I think we're good. What an ugly, ugly joke they've made of this country, of what they say is their country. They couldn't even read the papers correctly. They were so worried for a moment that one of their patron saints had done them wrong. They referenced Cruz and Hawley and Trump as their inspiration. Cruz would want us to do this, all on tape put out by the New Yorker. And what is most evident of all in that is that they felt entitled. They thought that they were empowered to be there, that they weren't just like all the other criminal scum that decide to transcend law in the name of protest. And that wall of shame, that's why they felt empowered. Cruz, Hawley, 145 retrumplicans, and yes, that's what you are until you show yourself to acknowledge what you did wrong and be something that shows you as being right. You people did what the terrorists couldn't. You left a stain on the actual democratic process. You voted to overturn an election based on lies. The darkness, the lure of more power, of being the next demagogue, Today, we remember what is true about men and women like them. We need leaders not in love with money, but justice. Not about publicity, but humanity. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. MLK dreamed of a day when people would be judged by character over color. All these years later, we are still haunted by the nightmare of white supremacy even worse than in King's day in this way. Today, we have a president who actively coddled and loved them while demonizing those fighting against racism and systemic inequality. Think about that. We are in a worse situation in that regard than in the maelstrom of the 60s. When the looting starts, The shooting starts, Trump said, about people fighting systemic injustice. But now, he says he loves these people. So he owns white hate, and so do you in his party. Why? Because too many of you ignored it and therefore empowered it. And many of you were complicit in his illicit acts. Today, See them pose as apostles of King. Witness the frauds. Cruz writing, Now more than ever, we're reminded of the power of King's words, calling on all of us to have the courage to face uncertainties of the future. Yeah, Ted, the uncertainties that you helped cause for America's future. And you thought it would pay off with power. I think you will be opposed by many in your party for years to come because you will be seen as what not to be. Senator Lindsey Graham tweeting, King's dream address words mean as much today as when they were delivered. And yet he called Trump a healer yesterday. Listen. President Trump never said, go into the Capitol and try to interrupt a joint session of Congress. President Trump is trying to heal the nation. What is wrong with that guy? Just when you think he has remembered his personal history and his intelligence, he just becomes a ghost again. Just this kind of empty echo of a madman. Graham, Cruz, a laundry list of others, they are anti-Martin. In a world that should be about brotherhood, responsibility, and justice, they are more Martian in that world than Martin. I told you in the beginning, we had new evidence to further expose the lie that started all of this. All right? You can thank CNN's K-File. They dug up proof 
that Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who tried to get this election overturned by the courts, personally voted in this election in New York using a method he argued was fraudulent elsewhere. He voted by affidavit ballot, a provisional ballot. Can you believe the insanity? Yes, you can. Because lies are obvious and ugly when set against the light of truth. King gave us the keys to the kingdom. He showed us the way and told us that we will overcome challenges like those today. But it wasn't automatic. Who will do the work? Let nobody give you the impression that only time will solve the problem, said King. So are we about to do the work of coming together in a quest for a more perfect union? Because time alone will heal nothing by itself. Deeper insight now from Abby Phillip and David Gregory. We say this every year, Abby, on MLK Junior Day, which is, I wonder what Dr. King would say today. And it is an impossible thing to answer, except in moments like these that do, that are completely concordant with what he was up against then, except he had a president, he has a president now who may have posed the biggest opposition to him. What should we remember? Well, you know, I think that this Martin Luther King Day is one of the most, um, I think, it's sad the way that people are are trying to use Martin Luther King to further uh, the perception that they are in favor of uh, the things that he stood for, even while doing everything within their power to do exactly the opposite, even while constantly lying and provoking uh, violence uh, and and trying to undermine this democracy. I mean, I think that has never been so stark as it was today, and I think it should be called out in the way that you did. But, you know, it's clear that Martin Luther King would not, uh, obviously, would not want to see uh, the really vile display that we saw at the Capitol two weeks ago in which white supremacists and anti-Semites and uh, conspiracy theorists and all kinds of the worst kinds of people converged upon the Capitol uh, in the name of doing something fundamentally anti-democratic in nature. And everything around that, I think, really exposes what King um, has been trying to say about American society in the first place, which is that we need to look within ourselves to find uh, the ways in which, you know, we don't treat people uh, the same based on, uh, you know, what their skin color looks like. The way that these these, uh, rioters were treated at the Capitol is not the way that Black Lives Matter protesters were treated six months ago. And he would have called that out. And the people who are not willing to even see that, not willing to acknowledge the racism in uh, the these election fraud lies, I think really have no business talking about Dr. King today. Mm. David, the meaning of this week could go two different ways. What do you think? Well, I think we're in the middle of so much. The obvious concern is the anxiety about more violence, uh, not just protests, but mob actions, uh, actual violence, attacks upon symbols of our democracy, symbols of our government. Uh, I'm hopeful and prayerful for quiet. Um, I think uh, the capital where we live here is uh, a target that's been hardened considerably. I hope it's the same around state houses. But we have to look at um, this ongoing threat beyond big days like an inauguration. We have to look not at the people who scream the loudest and uh, are are taking selfies and recording themselves. We have to worry about the people in the shadows. You know, I think about the 90s and the Oklahoma City bombing. And, you know, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols had associations with militia groups, but uh, they kept to themselves and they secretly plotted. Uh, a mass casualty event. We have to be watchful about that. But I think it gets back to governing. You know, the legacy of Trump among those legacies, incompetence and corruption. And I I think the incompetence when it comes to the virus is what's really going to get Biden started. Governing again, um, being normal again, using the power of the federal government for good and using the power of the presidency 
uh, for good to mobilize against a common threat, which we're still seeing in this pandemic, which we're seeing in the economic destruction from the pandemic. Also, on a day like today, I think we should also give thanks uh, for people who live the legacy and who try to do the job for society. And I certainly count you two uh, among that number. Abby, David, thank you and be well. So what are we seeing in these final hours? Shameful administration losing to the end and with the help of its proxies, gaslighting in the extreme, race, religion, everything that should be common ground, they have made a battleground, and they are pouring salt in the wounds of division. Michael Eric Dyson understands the history, the politics, and the challenges of the present. How do we do the work? You can't overcome without effort. Next. Republicans are under fire for various tweets quoting and praising Dr. Martin Luther King, because you can't talk what you won't walk. And they are not embodying any of the actions on unity, peace, and equal rights that King espoused, and they know it. Less than two weeks ago, we saw our democracy take a major hit. Not talk, not spin, violence and bloodshed in the streets and in our capital. It was a moment for truth and reflection, and I believe it will be something that may take us away from the brink, ultimately. But many Republicans condemn the attacks, but they need to do more because we got to that attack with their complicity. So what do we do? I want to talk to someone who knows all about, of course, Dr. King and his legacy, but how that will or will not should or should not be made manifest today. Michael Eric Dyson, preacher, distinguished professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt University, author of the new book, Long Time Coming, Reckoning with Race in America. Good to see you, brother. Great to see you, my man. Are we reckoning? We are to a degree. Uh, After the death of George Floyd, Uh, Many white brothers and sisters, for the first time, many of them, uh, began to grapple seriously with moving from the ideal of liberal resistance or conservative complicity with structures of society that would help the race problem to getting involved in the streets. Many white brothers and sisters were removed of any excuse, were absolved in one sense of any intention to avoid the racial issue head on. When George Floyd lay on that ground begging to breathe, begging for the knee of Derek Chauvin to be removed from him, it was an irresistible metaphor for African American people who felt that the knee of America had been the the knee of America had been on their necks collectively. But many white people said, look, there are no more excuses. He wasn't running, he wasn't shouting, he wasn't cursing, he didn't have a gun, he wasn't threatening, he was not a menacing black man. He was there laying prostrate on the ground. They hit the streets, they flooded the cities of America, it swole the numbers of protests to epic proportions. The greatest protests in the history of this nation against racial injustice. And yet now, six months later, it has died down. I think it's removed to a different uh, state, if you will, a different plateau, a different plane. In the midst of reckoning with race, because it's not the sexy stuff, Chris, it's not the stuff you do in the streets, it's the normal stuff. When you first fall in love, you're attracted to somebody, you feel compelled to take them out to dinner and to show them love and romance. And then it gets to, did did you put the toothpaste on there? Do you squeeze it from the bottom of the top? Is the toilet paper out? But it's the unsexy stuff taking kids to school, trying to deal with the trainer, talking about what we do on an everyday level in our home. That's where we are in terms of white brothers and sisters saying we have to deal with constructive criticism in conversations we have with black people. We got to talk about corporate America. What do we do at home? How do we deal with this on our jobs? At the same time, we have the buffoonish, the lunatic, the idiocy of a a, a white supremacist president with the complicity of these spineless and feckless senators 
who are manipulative of the rhetoric. Here today, as you said, quoting Martin Luther King Jr., knowing full well they stand tooth and nail against everything he represented. And not only that, white evangelicals are more white than evangelical, have used religious authority to justify the subordination of black people when they saw Black Lives Matter coming, they felt that they were the antithesis of everything democratic. Now they embrace white insurrectionists who go to the Capitol to desecrate uh, the democratic ideals that have been inherited from Athens. And yet here we now, here we are now in the midst of a civil war that shows the bloodletting and the shedding of blood by vulnerable people because of the willingness of this democracy to cede its legitimate uh, authority to the hands of many white senators and politicians who don't have the vision of the founding fathers. That's where we are today. What do you make of Trump getting attention on this day? Something he didn't write, he probably didn't even read, but he has chosen to put out there, which is, hey, you know, some people believe that this country was founded uh, on slavery and therefore founded on a lie. No, not true. Uh, slavery has been the reality more than it has been the exception um, for many, many thousands of years. And therefore, we must accept that as our starting point here as well. It's not a problem. It's just how it is. That's what he put out today. Now, they'll yeah. say he didn't say it. It was somebody else. But the timing matters. And that message is resonating as quickly as any in this country. Every time somebody says Black Lives Matter, what's the answer now? So does mine. Right. And well, how do we get past that? Well, that's a great point. Uh, number one, uh, it's it's a it's a mendacity that is colossal. But let's let's ex examine it here. Even if you read Orlando Patterson's book, Slavery and Social Death, a comparative analysis of 16 societies mm -hmm. that had slavery. This society was especially vicious because of chattel slavery. And here's why it was especially vicious, because they brought God in. The Greeks didn't have to claim that the gods were motivating them in the same way that the Christian God was co-opted, uh, put into the script of American hegemony and dominance and racial superiority to say God is a co-conspirator with white supremacists. So now it's divine authority. You know, God sent us to Africa to, slave, to save you savages from your rot in your heathenistic uh, outlook. Now we bring you here to America to become Christians. So the justification for enslavement here in America was especially different because chattel slavery meant, unlike Greek society, you couldn't buy your way out. You couldn't be an indentured servant as a black person and then buy your way to freedom. And then the very kids that you taught who were the children of the slave master are now your friends. That's not what happened here. So they're being disingenuous. But for Donald Trump, let's be honest, even though he didn't mouth those words, there's a ventriloquist effect of white supremacy. His mouth is open. White supremacist ideals are flowing through his tongue. Let's be honest. When we look at slavery in this country and when we look at what Donald Trump has said, Donald Trump has been a kind of manipulator of the mindset of average, ordinary white brothers and sisters who are looking desperately for some relief. He has constantly, from the very beginning, been trying to demonize African-American people, Mexican people, uh, Muslim people, uh, Jewish people. The anti-Semitism has been on the rise because of the fostering of a neo-Nazi, neo-fascist outlook that this president has fostered, and especially the white supremacist outlook. Here is a man who has a white nationalist as one of his advisors, who constantly is trying to bait black people into response. And when you say black lives matter and you put up, well, blue lives matter too, first of all, that's an ontological mistake, a big old word the philosophers would say. You're born black, you're not born blue, you're not born. One is a job that one has as a police person, another is a racial category that one inherits nearly from birth. So when people say my life, my life matters too, of course it does. The fact that we say black lives matter, there's something missing. Black lives matter also. Black lives matter too. Black people would not dare say that only our lives matter. In fact, when you look at the history of African-American people in this country, we have been the most gracious, the most loving, the most embracing people. We have been the most loyal people. But even in the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson noting the domestic insurrectionist, that's the name he gave to those Africans who were listening to British people to say, look, in exchange for your loyalty, we'll offer you freedom. 
On the other hand, Indians, indigenous people, were considered merciless savages. Domestic insurrectionists as Africans, merciless savages as native people, and yet the greatest insurrectionist in this country today, the greatest threat to democracy was a man named Donald Trump who had Thomas Jefferson's position, but Benedict Arnold's job. Here was a man who was engaging in the most anti-democratic force that we've seen unleashed in the Oval Office in the history of this nation. And shame on Lindsey Graham, shame on Ted Cruz, shame on Marco Rubio, Ivy League trained men who know better, whose jurisprudential rationality understands that there is something manipulative going on here. So you side with Donald Trump in complicity with white supremacy and have the nerve on this day to call upon Martin Luther King Jr. to sanctify your religious beliefs. It is it is ignorant, it is lunatic, and it is fundamentally and fatally mendacious. When you get ignorance and ag- arrogance in that sweet spot, that's where you find men like that. Michael Eric Dyson, when you shine a light of truth and you put passion behind it, that's when we reveal men such as you. Thank you for helping me and the audience once again. Keep teaching, keep preaching. Thank you, my brother. God bless you. Thank you, my brother. Many in this mob of thugs at the Capitol are actually helping the feds catch them. Their sense of entitlement is motivating self-incrimination, okay? They have a tool designed, ironically, to help the far right. What am I talking about? We have been digging into the dragnet, and we have someone who is figuring out what the root of this problem is, but it's also a remedy. Next. The attack on the Capitol is likely the most well-documented terror attack in history. All those cell phones, All that live streaming, all that braggadocio, all of that righteous Fugazi indignation. The FBI has received almost 200,000 digital tips so far. And good for you. I I, Look, some of them are, you know, wackos and people trying to, you know, just mess with the FBI. But overwhelmingly, people are responding to what they saw and wanting those people punished. Good for you. I've yet to see a criminal indictment that doesn't include video or pictures of the accused in the Capitol. Then there's Parler, the social media site that Trumpers are such big fans of, holds a huge cache of videos that will all be evidence for the political case pointing directly at the role Trumpers had in this. Donnie O'Sullivan has been digging into all of it. Thank you, first of all, for doing that, my brother. Second of all, um, the idea of the sameness, of the uniformity, not just of thought or intent, but of language. Significance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we saw here last week was the physical manifestation of the online mob, of the online trolls. Chris, I was at a QAnon meeting in Scottsdale, Arizona, a few weeks before the election. And everybody in that room was convinced that not only Trump would, would win, but that he would win in a total landslide. And if he didn't win, it was sign of voter fraud. Now, why did they think that? Well, because Trump kept saying it. He kept tweeting about voter fraud every single day for weeks. Um, and there were some, some of the people in that room, at least one guy in that room, ended up uh, um, storming the Capitol last week. The guy uh, in the horns, uh, on it, the guy with the horns on his head, the QAnon uh, shaman. Um, so, you know, there, there, there was a precedent here that that Trump was flirting with them all along, and also that meeting that that in Arizona came just a few days after Trump uh, had his interview with Savannah Guthrie, that town hall where he was asked to disavow QAnon and he would not. And actually, that's what opened that meeting that day. They said, "Did you hear Trump? Did you hear him this week? He said we're great guys. He says we're good people." As as far as they concerned, Trump was in on it. Right. People must remember, as the history is written. QAnon, David Duke, whenever it came to any kind of extremism, Trump always feigns ignorance and wants some kind of clarification and rarely goes far enough in the first instance, which is the one that matters most. Doni, uh, the idea of who was motivating, organizing uh, in terms of narrowing down the most influential actors... Yeah, I mean, look, as, as we say, Trump, 
in the QAnon fantasy, Trump is the hero, right? So had Trump came out and said, I want nothing to do with this, had he actually come out and criticized QAnon, it could have stopped it. It really could have stopped it because central to the belief in QAnon is that Trump is the hero and that Trump is some way uh, involved. But then there were uh, very uh, important sort of influencers, QAnon influencers along the way, who were stoking and dragging people along. And especially, you know, I've been traveling the country most of this year, the past uh, four or five months, and folks really bought into this, particularly around the time of COVID. People were locked in their homes. They had more time to spend on the internet. They were looking for answers to questions about this virus, like all of us. And many of them, thanks to the social media platforms, instead of finding good information, they were being dragged down these dark, dark rabbit holes. I mean, there's single, mo- there's there's mothers, there's soccer moms I've spoken to across the country who have, have totally uh, bought into this. So, you know, there's culpability, I think, on so many levels here, uh, whether it's coming from Trump, whether it's coming from the likes of Roger Stone and Ali Alexander, the people who uh, played into all these conspiracies, and to the social media platforms as well. I mean, QAnon has been going for three years. It was only this summer that Facebook and Twitter started taking action against QAnon. Right, and remember... Trump, of course, but Cruz, Hawley, those 140 plus that stood up, they gave the extreme in all of its different flavors and fantasies a legitimacy they never dreamed of. And Doni, the bad news for you, but the good news uh, for your sense of purpose, it is not going to be over when Trump leaves. Doni O'Sullivan, thank you for staying on this. All right, the FBI. Talk about the sad state of the times. They have to vet the thousands of National Guard who are now protecting our democracy ahead of the inauguration. Why? What are they worried about? Does a former defense secretary worry about an attack from the inside? Where does this very distinguished Secretary Cohen feel that we are headed next? As Secretary of Defense, our next guest oversaw the fight against terrorists abroad. Secretary William Cohen, welcome to primetime. Great to be with you, Chris. I only have one question. Um, Taking a look at this moment, I just want your thoughts on where we are and where you think we go next. Uh, Because we're doing something right now with the vetting of the National Guard that I haven't seen done since we were in Iraq. And we were worried about the loyalties and the ISAF troops, the, uh, the combined troops in Iraq, that people were worried about loyalties. And now we're doing it here. What is your take, sir? Well, my fear is that uh, we have had an inside threat uh, for some time, at least four years, that the biggest inside threat that I worry about is President Trump. Uh, he has, uh, in, in effect, caused us to turn against each other so that we don't trust one another. Uh, we don't trust members of Congress, trust each other now. One wants to carry a gun onto the, or maybe more than one, onto the uh, the Senate floor. Uh, we are now turning uh, against even suspecting our military as being against us or for the, uh, the white supremacists. So he's been successful in dividing America. And so that's the biggest threat. It's a long lasting one. And so, yes, I think that the inauguration will be safe. I think we have to rely upon our military to do their job, and they will. But what he has done by sending out the word to try and divide us even further, to overturn the election, to engage in a seditious act, and to send his people, and because there were former military or active military or police or firemen or doctors or teachers We say, well, that's who make up our society, and the military is part of that society. So, yes, we have racism uh, in the military. We have white supremacy in the military. We have anti-Semitism in the military. But it's the military that does the most in our society to bring good order and discipline to those who join the force to say, you bring your baggage, you bring your bias and bigotry, yes. But we are going to try and inculcate with you the values and virtues of saying you obey the Constitution and the Constitution says you respect the rights of others, you believe in equal rights, opportunity, and justice. That's the kind of value we try to inculcate in the military. And for mostly, we are successful. But now this president, because we feared that he might try to do something before he departed uh, office, that he would use the military to try and overturn the election. Ironically, we now have the military trying to protect uh, the election. So it's been, he's been very divisive. He has violated every rule that I can think of for the past four years. He's encouraged uh, violence and hate, and he is 
called people, black people, thugs and terrorists, Black Lives Matter. He's called uh, Mexicans rapists. He's called uh, Muslims uh, terrorists. He lumped them all together, say, but if you're white, you're okay. And so now we have different degrees of whiteness, but basically saying that if you're brown, black, uh, uh, Muslim, yellow, uh, or Jewish, uh, you're not white. Mm -hmm. And this is about white supremacy. And he's put that on the table right now, and we are left with it. So I think what we have to do, now your dad said something, he said we should have less anger, which is easy, uh, and more reflection. I think we need both. I think we need to stay angry over what he has done and what those who are in the Senate seek to replicate by having the office themselves in either four years or eight years by saying they're the heirs of Trump and Trumpism. Uh, that is what he has done to the country. And I think we have to sit down at the table. You had uh, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, uh, someone I admire a great deal and a friend, uh, talk about, you know, blacks sit down at the table and uh, parents tell their children they have the talk. Here's how you have to act in white society. Now we have to have white people sit down at the table with their children. Here's how you must act to be a citizen of the United States and a loyal patriot citizen. White people don't have that talk. They don't have to. They haven't had to. And now they do because you've got white people turning against them as well. Mm. And not just killing blacks. That's okay with them. Now they're killing white people. So we have to be afraid of that. And we have to have the talk at the dinner table saying, here's what white people have to do. Because as my wife likes to say, it's the hand that rocks the cradle. You know, we get them in the military after they've been uh, either uh, all their values and, and ideals uh, given to them by their parents or caregivers. But by the time they get to the military, they have some of that already baked in. And we have to unbake it as best we can and send them back into society with the values that we uh, really uh, curate and, 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 and try to establish in the military itself. Not always successful. Mm. Uh, we heard about the Oklahoma bombing uh, with uh, Timothy McVeigh and others. Right. But they're the exception. And we have to keep that in mind. But, yeah, is there racism? Is there? Uh, we've just uh, never wait. had a we've just never had a president before yes. that played to the extreme. But Secretary William Cohen, your words hit heavy. Uh, and they are resonant at the right time. Thank you, sir. And please come back to the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Be well. All right. We'll be right back. For those who have gotten tired of caring about COVID, know this. 60% of all the COVID cases in our country have been reported since Election Day. Okay. It's not just a matter of testing and tracing anymore. The infections are accelerating at a rate that we can't track. Researchers say COVID variants, variants meaning new forms of the virus, could be making it worse because they are more contagious. Here's what we know. Nearly three weeks since the first case of the UK variant was identified here in the US, the CDC now says it's identified more than 120 cases across 20 states. It will only continue. Dr. Ashish Jha joins me now. So this becomes a reinvigoration of the cause to combat COVID because now there is a new strain that spreads more quickly. So while it is not more lethal in and of itself, Fauci says it can cause more deaths because it spreads more quickly and therefore more people will have it. And if they are susceptible, they may succumb. Do I have it right? Chris, thanks so much for having me on. You have it exactly right. Uh, in some ways, it's much worse that it is more contagious because it will infect many, many more people and unfortunately probably will end up killing more people uh, than the current mainstream that we've been dealing with for much of 2020. Any reason to believe that the vaccine will work differently or not at all on any new variant? Well, on this new variant, much of the evidence so far says that the vaccine is going to work. That's the good news. Uh, but the problem is, you know, sort of a how much do we want to push our luck? Uh, if we have large outbreaks, we're going to see more variants. And one of them may end up being something that becomes, you know, less res or resistant or less effective uh, against the vaccine. So I, I don't really want to push our luck. I want to bring these outbreaks under control and get people vaccinated. So once again, the call will be, um, you got to mask up. You have to do these things. And I think you guys are going to have to do it in a world that is lockdown free. I do not think you have the will in government or in communities to lock down? 
I, I think that's right. I think that's right. You know, look, when the variant took off in the UK and in Ireland, the way they turned it around was by doing a very, very vigorous lockdown. I've been telling folks in the public health community, I don't see that happening in the United States. I don't see that happening in states. I don't see that as a national thing. So then we've got to think about alternatives. One of the alternatives is getting all high-risk people vaccinated as quickly as possible. That will blunt the spread of the virus. It will also prevent the virus uh, from filling up our hospitals and killing people. Why were the numbers so wrong on uh, the vaccine rollout? Is it that they just muff the numbers or did they assume uh, access to supply that we wound up not having? You know, it's it's a bit of both as far as I can tell, Chris. It's frustrating because I think one part of it is undoubtedly that the current team at HHS and at the White House basically assumed that their job was to get vaccines to states and then let the states figure it out, even though the states didn't have any resources, even though the states did not have the ability to do all of this by themselves. They figured, once again, if it doesn't work out well, they can always blame the states. Right. That was one part of the problem. The second is they clearly weren't paying close attention uh, to the vaccine production and stockpiles. That's why they kept saying things like, we have all these extra doses and reserves. The production is working fine. Uh, the problem is, I think they just have not been straightforward with the American people about how many vaccine doses they had actually built up. Should they let states try to source vaccine the way they did with PPE. They left the states on their own. Uh, and we had that wild west uh, that I was a part of because, you know, of access to what was going on with my brother in the state. Should they let them do that with the vaccine? You know, I, this is not like we don't get through a pandemic because you have 50 states and the District of Columbia uh, trying to outcompete each other. That just to me, this is not a strategy. Uh, it's what happens when you have a failed federal government. Uh, We're going to have a different federal government in about 36 hours or so. Uh, It's been very clear from the Biden team. They don't want to do a federal takeover. What they want to do is they want to partner with states and they want to coordinate with states. And I think if the Biden team is effective in that, and I suspect they will be, uh, I don't think we're going to need to see states competing with each other. Dr. Ashish Jha, thank you very much. We'll be right back with a special message. You ever heard this line? God gave Noah the rainbow sign. No more water, the fire next time. It's an African, it's a slave hymn. And it became the title of a book that rocked people's minds in the 60s, a collection of essays. And it was written by somebody who was a colleague of King's, who was mesmerized by King and frustrated as well. And it is a perfect statement of where we are today. Why am I saying it to you? Because one of us has taken time to look into it and see where we are and see ourselves in the same mission. CNN Tonight with its big star, D. Lemon. <laughs> he is that man. No more water. Fire the next fire time. Fire next time. Either you learn to love and you learn to reject hate <sighs> or things can only get worse. So um, I have been, do you see that? That's from James Baldwin. This is on, I think, one of my first copies from... Uh, the 1990s. I thought it was my first one, but I have been informed and it's got notes like on every, almost on every page, right? And it's all, but there's one that's floating around that's all torn and whatever I think that I had before this. Um, But this inspired me to do something. I was, um, this has been 30 years in the making. So maybe 35, Chris. And so what, um, during the George Floyd thing, as you know, I was sitting here and leading a lot of the coverage and um, People were asking me, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I didn't know what to do. And I, one night I just sat down and I started scribbling things. And I contacted someone. And so, um, and we came up with this, which has been really rushed. It's been really short. It's been like less than six months to put this out. And so um, this is an ode to James Baldwin and the fire next time. And it's called, This is the Fire. And it, for me, this is not about selling books because, you know, I have a full-time job. I do two hours here. I do a bunch of other things. But this is, this is – I really think that this book will help heal America in the way that conversation that you just had with Secretary Cohen about white people having conversations around the dinner table and wherever they are. And so all those people who contacted me and even beyond on social media everywhere, even people who may uh, disagree with me, who may not like me, you're going to get something from this book because it's, this book is about grace, 
since we're here on Dr. King, one of the you know, most graceful people um, that we know uh, at, through, in our history, and um, I really think it's going to heal. Again, I just, it, this is not about selling books for me. This is something that came from my heart and just poured out with late nights of jotting things down and writing things and working with a collaborator. And um, it's short like this, and it starts like this, although it's not derivative. It is really inspired by James Baldwin. Um, it starts off with a letter to my great-nephew. And I start by saying, I dedicated, you know, because you know over the year, past couple of years I've gone through a lot. We've covered all of this. And um, I just want to read something to you, okay, because this is how I start. I start with, um, I said, it's to the memory of those who paved the way with gratitude to those who march in their footsteps. James Baldwin, my sister Lisa, and all the not-so-obvious heroes who daily take a stand for truth like the not-so-obvious heroes who are at the Capitol who are helping to save our democracy and the lives of people like those police officers who were there. And I start with a letter to my nephew, my great-nephew like James Baldwin said. His name is, um, is Trichard. And I said, and I sat down, and this was on May 25th. I said, I heard a dying man call out to his mama, and I wept for the world that will soon belong to you. And that's how I start this book. And remind people, uh, Fire Next Time uh, was very resonant in the 60s. Uh, it was two essays that had come out earlier. Baldwin, you, we all know who he was. Yeah. Uh, and he was a correspondent of the time as well as an influencer of the time. First one was an essay to his nephew, which obviously uh, Don is adapting. And the next one was really important about where we are right, where now, we are right now, which was um, an essay about Baldwin realizing his place as an African-American growing up in Harlem and also looked at the yeah. lens of religion, which yeah. I think is one of the hard, sticky bits that we have to start talking about here that is really taboo. You don't question people's faith in this country, um, especially when they're Christian. And it is time, if we want to get to a better place, to realize that just putting it in the bio of your Twitter account does not make not. you a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is, he says, the, the chapter that you're talking about, it is, which is really apropos because this is where this came from. It says, down at the cross, letter from a region in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's where this, a region in my mind. How do, we, how do we deal with this? That's all I kept thinking, like, how can I help people? How can I help people? How can I help people? Let's be honest. Unless you do Harry Potter, I'm just going to be honest. You don't really, you know, what... What you get from a book is not really that financially amazing, right? I mean, it can be helpful, but this is really, for me, um, something that I just, I just honestly want people, I just want to help. And I think this book is going to help them. And I sat back and read it, and when the publishers sat back and read it, and, all, and the editors, they were like, we got to get this out, like, immediately, because this is all that's that happening in the world. Because, they're gonna, because people are going to... Because people are going to have conversations that are even stronger than the conversation you had with Secretary Cohen. That's even stronger than the conversation that you have, that you and I have every night. That's even uh, more fulfilling than a conversation that I had with, you know, that officer, Michael Fanone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every day I talk to him. He's like, this, I, I think he wouldn't mind me sharing. He said, one of the Good things that happen out of this horrible thing is that I get to have a com- I get to have conversations with you, and in those conversations we get to know each other, and our awareness of each other and America and the world expands because we're open to it. Nothing in common, you know. He's got kids. He's straight white guy. Got kids or whatever, and just whatever law enforcement. And here I am, this guy on CNN who no kids engaged. Um, you know. So and- why do you talk every day? Because it helps. Because, I, because it helps both of us understand this, this particular moment where we are. If you want to call it kismet, whatever you want to call it, here we are. So what do we do? And if we are truly going to uh, continue this grand experiment that we call America, then we're going to have to do it together. And we're going to have to have some grace with it. We're going to have to understand each other. We're going to have to, this is why I think it's going to help. Because I think maybe him and those people who went into the Capitol and a lot of people out there have been taught a history about America that's not necessarily true. Yes, we are a great country. 
we are the greatest democracy on earth. But there's a lot of our history that has been whitewashed, that people have not been taught in school or, or given the wrong history. And so now they are angry because they are, because the truth is coming out in many ways and they don't believe it. So that's how and so there are lessons. Stuck. There so, are lessons in this book about the history, the true history of this country, and things that we were taught that are not necessarily true. That there are more people who contributed to the the, the origins of this country and building this country than just white men. Here's my pitch for the book. The hard part of this, right? Because we're not new to this. Yeah. Um, you've lived it, and I have been uh, what today is called an ally, right? Which really should just be uh, just a conscious human being uh, who isn't a black person. Here's the sticky bit. People don't want to hear what makes them feel guilty, uh, which makes them feel wrong, which makes them feel uncomfortable, such that what Don just said is demonstrably true. Okay, there is a whitewashing of history. We've seen it in school and we know why it exists. Here's the problem. Do you want to hear that? If you are struggling and white and you don't want the blame, you're tired of hearing it, you worry about yourself. And then somebody like Donald Trump, who has a lot of power and prestige of a position that we gave him, puts out on the same day that we celebrate Dr. King's legacy, Mm -hmm. this stuff from a 1776 society, whatever that's supposed to mean. That says, you know, a lot of people believe that this country was founded on slavery and therefore a lie, that there was something disingenuous about equality from its very beginning. But no, no, no. Slavery was the rule in this world, not the exception. Mm -hmm. Therefore, America cannot be blamed for starting in a basis of slavery but wanting equality. It was only what was natural at the time, even for Christians. And that feels better. Yes, I like that. That's good. Yes, that's better. Not this, but, I should feel bad stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm, this is better. Well, that, how do we deal with that? That's not what it's about. And th- how do we deal with that? Read it. And then we'll fi- that's how you figure out how to this deal with it. This is a book club book, Don. This, is a, yeah. this should be in a book club. Which Who one? has a big book club? <laughs> Who has one? Oprah? Is that what you? Oprah Winfrey. That's who I was thinking of. This is a perfect book club book because you get these collections of people who are only similarly situated by their curiosity of what they can learn together. What's better than this book, Lemon? Yeah. We're talking about important stuff and I'm getting told to move on. It's just, it's, please. This is, we're dealing, this is what we're dealing with in this country. That's, that's why this is Dr. Martin Luther King Day, the insurrection on the Capitol, racism. This is the news. This is what we're talking about now. But uh, I do have to, you're right, um, but I do have to go because I have to get to what we have planned here. But everybody read it. This is the fire. And uh, I promise you it will be helpful. And I thank you for doing what you just did. Thank you I so thank much. you for doing what you are doing. <laughs> I love you, you, Don Lemon. This I is just one reason well. why. This is the fire. This is what the conversations I have with my friends about racism, what I say. Uh, Thank you for indulging me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.